This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 24, an interview with customer Trilumina about how they use ANSYS simulation tools on their disruptive new design for laser arrays used in LiDAR applications, as well as our usual updates from the world of ANSYS and PADT. Hi there, my name is Eric Miller. I'm one of the owners here at PADT, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, I'm getting back and getting over jet lag from a trip to Israel that I took with the local uh, Arizona Technology Council and the Arizona Israel Tech Alliance. It was a fantastic uh, week in Israel with a great group of people where we were able to meet um, a bunch of startups, some companies with Arizona connections, as well as doing the tourist thing. As a history nut, um, I was it was a fantastic trip for me, and I just couldn't stop getting enough uh, history and visiting ruins and looking at rocks and things. It was a lot of fun. But uh, overall, it was also very good to, to visit with some companies with ties to Arizona and build stronger relationships uh, across uh, the world. So that was a lot of fun. I was hoping to actually do an interview with the ANSYS channel partner there in Israel, but uh, I waited to the last minute, so I didn't give them enough time to schedule anything. So next time I travel to a distant land, I will try and plan ahead and see if I can get them to come on the podcast. Uh, uh, speaking of the podcast, we're at uh, just under 7,000 total downloads and 23 episodes, so we're sitting still at 300 per episode. Um, we're flat, so I'm asking all of our listeners out there that like the podcast to get the word out, put it on your social media, tweet it. I know that uh, us engineers are not the most social media using group in the world, but uh, you know, do share, do let people know, get the word out so we can get more people listening. Um, <clears throat> I hope you'll find as much value in some of these interviews we've been doing with people outside of PADT as we have. And on to that podcast. I had a chance uh, yesterday to talk with a participant in the ANSYS startup program, a company called Trilumina. They're out of New Mexico and they're doing some very cool things uh, building these laser arrays that are, I learned, that are quite small and produce quite a bit of power. And they're used to light up uh, objects, both inside and outside vehicles, for use with LIDAR, which is kind of the laser version of radar. So he'll explain more about how they use the tool, um, why they're using the tool, and the advantages they have from it. Uh, some inside info on how they create some complex geometry in electronic desktop, which I found very useful. Um, and you can, you can learn also how much I don't know about laser arrays and how they're packaged. So uh, please enjoy. This is a great interview. I, I learned a lot. Please enjoy it. Okay, welcome to our interview today with a customer. Uh, the company is called Trilumina, and I'm going to let uh, our guest explain exactly what it what they do. But it's a very cool application of some some neat physics out there. And and our guest today is Jeff Earls from Trilumina. Jeff, how you doing? I'm well. Nice to talk to you today, Eric. And you're calling us from New Mexico, is that correct? I am calling us from our offices in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That right. is correct. Great. I have. It's been. I just realized it's been about two months since I've had my fix 
of New Mexico food. So I need to make it out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do know the official state question, right? <laughs> That's right. What is that? Do you want green chili? No, red or green. No, it's, it's red or green. That is correct. That is the official state question. <laughs> For those who have not been in New Mexico, they have two kinds of uh, salsa that they put on everything. One is a red chili salsa and one is a green chili salsa. And one, both right. are wonderful. And it's, is it Christmas that's the combination? Yes, yeah, so that, that is the that is the third answer. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so listening to our answers podcast, you would never know you learn about New Mexico cuisine. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what Trilumina does as a company? Oh, I'd be happy to. Uh, Trilumina uh, makes vertical cavity surface emitting laser arrays, primarily for the uh, uh, sensing environments. We make illuminators. These okay. are laser arrays for LIDAR applications and other sensing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we have – go ahead. This is technology that came out of the labs there, or did you guys develop it independently? Uh, it is technology that came out of – some of our principles have come from uh, the labs here in Albuquerque. And uh, we have spun off into this startup company to build these for uh, – Commercial applications. Awesome, awesome. And, co- and we do have some IP related to flip chip design and the fact that we are backside emitting uh, lasers. So explain that. What's what's the difference between backside emitting and maybe a standard uh, laser array? Uh, uh, a standard laser array, a uh, pixel array, the uh, light will come out of the same surface as you would make all the contacts for both uh-huh. the anode and the cathode. Okay. And we uh, we do that a little differently, where we have a flip chip design where the light comes out the what is that the backside, mm-hmm. and the contacts are then you can directly mount to a sub mount for much lower inductance than a conventional top um, emitting design. Nice. nice. And and okay, we'll get into this when we talk about ANSYS, but I'm sure thermal is an issue for you guys, but we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. And, and where where is where are you on your company journey right now? Um, we are, I, I'm not sure how much I can say in terms yes. of a public, <laughs> but, uh, we are still in a startup phase and mm-hmm. we are working with several, um, customers for getting our devices into demonstrations and, um, and potential production into a large scale. Great. But we do have contacts all over the world with regards to where we are potentially putting these devices. Yeah, we've met a lot of people on the sensor side of the LiDAR world, and um, it's exciting to see a new emitter technology. Uh, I think that uh, as, as we – I don't know if you're aware, but Phoenix is a testing ground for a lot of autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. So we see all these cars with all sorts of sensors and emitters all over them, and it's it's exciting to see uh, a local you know, Southwest company getting yeah. involved in that, yeah. Yeah, we we provide both high both high power for external and uh, lower power for internal sensing in, in cabin. Oh, oh, cool! Even in cabin, that's yeah, yeah, that. in cabin as well. Oh, yeah, wow. I like to think of it as we make very fancy flash bulbs. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we got a really good education on this a, a recent uh, user group meeting because Ansys bought a company called Optus. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, so they they simulate uh, light, and so they would simulate how your device lights up, say, a street or a building or inside the the cockpit, 
and ah, okay. um, and then what the sensor sees from the lidar signal. And so for us mechanical engineers, uh, it was a good education, kind of understanding how lidar works and and where it goes. So um, it's definitely becoming a huge part of simulation as more and more people use this technology. It's really cool stuff. So how about yourself? How did you end up becoming a simulation person? Um, my history is um, after uh, several decades in the, um, I worked for uh, Tektronics for okay. several decades as a RF system engineer, primarily in spectrum analysis mm -hmm. uh, design. And my history coming out of before I joined Tektronics was uh, basically a master's in uh, electro, uh, computational electromagnetics. So my history was initially in simulation mm -hmm. and, and actually building some of the code for that um, then turned into 25 years of microwave mm -hmm. uh, high, high dynamic range design. And I've joined uh, Trilumina after that to uh, work in modeling. Okay. And so I was I, I was brought in to, to build some of the um, equivalent circuit models for our laser devices, which is very important for our customers, mm -hmm. so they can drive uh, design the drivers appropriately. And so I came in with a background of knowing both RF um, high frequency design mm -hmm. and the fundamentals of simulation on how these tools work and and able to trust the boundaries or where mm -hmm. the boundaries are and what to trust and what not to trust in terms of simulation. Cool. And so I've been leveraging both the um, taking our measurements of devices, uh, typically uh, VNA measurements of the impedance of these devices, and turning those with the ANSYS tools into equivalent circuit models that we can provide to our customers. Great. So, so like uh, over on the mechanical side, we refer, refer to those often as reduced order models, so they can plug those into like their SPICE network. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. Okay. Uh, we provide spice net lists that um, that simulate some of the, the transient um, and current dependent behavior of our devices, including not just the VIXL emitters themselves, mm -hmm. but the submount on which we provide them. Mm -hmm. um, and so that becomes very important in terms of the ANSYS tools and primarily you're using your Q3D extractor to okay. take a physical um, aluminum nitride substrate with all the metallization mm -hmm. and add that its extracted parameters, you know, mm -hmm. DC inductance, resistance, capacitance, um, on top of the, um, the circuit I create for the VIXL emitters themselves to for a composite model of how the entire uh, assembly uh, performs. Fascinating. Which which leads me right into my next question, which is which which ANSYS products are you using right now? Uh, I primarily use two at the moment. I use the Q3D extractor, mm -hmm. which takes, uh, which is, is similar to your HFSS model, which I sometimes mm -hmm. will use, uh, mm -hmm. uh, which does the physical extraction. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very powerful tool. And I will also use uh, Circuit, okay. which is your, your SPICE equivalent. Right. Um, so I, I've become more familiar with that over the last couple months, and it is a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. that allows me to do some um, more advanced optimization and parametric modeling mm -hmm. uh, in combination with the, the Q3D extractor um, to then create a netlist that 
-hmm. Sometimes I'll need to go back and look at make sure it works in, in some of the uh, open source tools like LT Spice because right. I don't know what our customer is going to use. Exactly. But the circuit tool does provide some, some powerful functions to be able to do a uh, large parametric uh, analysis. Very cool. So those are the two primary ones right now. It's Q3D and, and uh, Nexum Circuit. And every once in a while, HFSS, if you need to get down and dirty inside, right? I, I will use HFSS as well if, I will, if I'm interested in finding uh, the frequency response of wow. some of these. Uh, uh, we, you know, we, we care a whole lot of getting current in and out of a device fast. So okay. inductance is, is key. But at times, I also need to look at what the frequency response is to see if there is, a, um, you know, any edge effects that are, are in terms of pulse widths and the like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how how big is the your average emitter? Is it like an inch by an inch, or is it larger? Oh, much smaller than that. Much smaller. Okay. Um, much much smaller. So we will make dye um, mm -hmm. that are typically like one by two millimeter. Oh, wow. uh, outside okay. the measure, or maybe two millimeters square. Okay. And on those die, we might have between 100 and 800 individual laser emitters. Wow. Okay, I didn't so, know they were and, that small. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so we're, and, and we may combine, and depending on the customer application, you might have between two and 20 of these die okay. on a sub-mount. Okay. Uh, because you know, so if, if an individual emitter puts out maybe 30 milliwatts of, of optical power, mm -hmm. okay, you put 100 of those together, and all of a sudden you're to, you're talking uh, you know 100, you know tens to hundreds of watts of, right. of optical illumination power. Um, now that that all combines obviously into if you've got a single emitter that maybe makes full optical power at CW at 30 milliamps. Mm -hmm. Or 50 milliamps. Well, you put a couple hundred of those together, and all of a sudden you're talking large numbers. And you might have, uh, you're suddenly pushing in a, you know, less than 20 nanosecond pulse, 100 amps. Wow. In a current peak. Okay. So inductance is king, and these are small parts. Yeah. Um, I did not realize it was that small. I need to update myself on, on what's going on. That's fantastic. So yeah, that, yeah and some of these can be seen. You can see some of these on our website. That's you know the size and, and whatnot of, of the things that we put together. And that's just trilumina.com, correct? It is, that is correct. T r i l u m i n a dot com. Good, good. Definitely check that out if you're listening to get a kind of a visual of what we're talking about here today. So. Um, I guess one of the things I wanted to talk about, seeing as how you're using the tools, is geometry. So what's your process? I know a lot of people, this is, this is actually often the most difficult part, is getting those board designs, those substrate designs, into the system. How do you guys solve that problem? Uh, I have a couple different methods that I do use, uh, prim but, is, uh, but primarily it is manual. I will take a, a GDS layout that we use for our tools for mm -hmm. the pixel designs themselves that they use for the die, mm -hmm. um, and I'll recreate that geometry manually. I have okay. found some methods where I can just add the shapes mm -hmm. on top of a small substrate, you know, rectangles, whatever, and build those in as 2D shapes, combine okay. them with polylines, uh, fillets, and um, radii, radii as, as needed. I'll mm -hmm. do this parametrically, right. such that if I need to scale something, I can just change a variable and things scale. Uh, but build the shape 
shapes as 2D and then uh, extrude them into 3D basing on the thickness of the metallization. So you might have a, a multi-layer where you've got a, a first very thin flash of titanium tungsten as an adhesion layer, then, then your copper, mm -hmm. then your top layers of, of nickel and gold for contacts, and then solder contacts as well. So I'll extrude those up as basically as create object from face mm -hmm. and then uh, make the extrusion um, then take take that face, build the next one up maybe as copper, next one up as nickel, next one up as gold to create the composite shape. Um, okay. Then obviously build in uh, vias for through contacts to backside and solder contacts as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I found that to be more efficient than trying to use a a tool that converts. Right. Um, just, and that, that's a personal preference thing more than anything else. I am sure that if I spent a little bit more time with maybe SI Wave mm -hmm. or some of the other board extraction tools, I might get good with that. But in terms of I need something quick, I can bang this out in a, in a couple hours and I have, have a model. So When you get that parametric model too, so you can tweak it. I, I, I work, we've kind of found the same thing. If you've got really good ECAD design, sometimes you can import them straight in, but Oftentimes you need to simplify and make assumptions, and so that that uh, bottom-up build uh, works right. That way, if I need to do an extraction of okay, what's the inductance change as a function of the copper thickness that we can get from from a vendor on mm -hmm. on the substrate? Actually, right. I, I can run that a whole lot simpler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true, true. That's cool. Um, so, so what of these tools you've been using? Um, what's your favorite uh, capability that you like? I love this part of the code. Uh, I, I really like how the, the parametric work does, uh, makes it so simple to change the 3D geometry. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like the, the simplicity with which the Q3D extractor lets you um, assign ports um, mm -hmm. and convert that into an equivalent netlist. That, that part uh, is has become very simple for me, and I just love that I can, it's a few clicks, and I can get this thing together and, and out and running. Um, uh, I have come to like a lot of the features in uh, Nexum Circuit as well in terms of being able to do optimizations and being able to pull in uh, actual measured VNA data mm -hmm. to do optimization and um, compare to, you know, a, a match the impedance of a netlist to uh, Smith chart data. Okay. That that has become a very simple thing that I can get within, uh, you know, five two to five percent of my final answer just by running your optimization tool, and then I can do manual tweaks from there. So it, it's it's made my life very simple in terms of uh, getting getting to the answers we need quickly. Mm -hmm. um, very cool. All right. Do you guys feel like you're you're one one of the things is we where we use simulation? Are you driving your design with simulation? Are you checking your design? Are you fixing problems in the design or all the above? All the above. Um, I've been with Trilumina for about um, you know nine months now, mm -hmm. and so coming in, it was first understanding what we're doing and using your Nexum tools and mm -hmm. and. Enhances tools to simulate what we currently have mm -hmm. and see where improvements can be made. Right. 
that has turned into, okay, a customer has come to us with this request. What can we do in terms of designing Mm-hmm. to meet that requirement. And now it's turned into, okay, I, we need a design and I will, I will start with, you know, first principles to build the, uh, the part that they need mm-hmm. uh, within, the, within the constraints of some of, of our fabrication processes that right. we can get. Um, and uh, just recently, I you know, spent some of last weekend on helping understand uh, one of our customers' problems that they've been having with one of our parts in, in trials. So that is going back and and refitting some of their circuitry into the models that I've created Mm -hmm. that include actual uh, current, you know, current into light out type Mm -hmm. models to understand why they're they're maybe seeing some problems in efficiency. And so um, it's kind of all of the above. Good, good. We love to hear that (laughs) because it's it's cool stuff. (laughs) Um, So if you... uh, had a chance to sit down with a developer and say, I want this one feature, these two features added to the tools you're using. What, what do you think those features would be? Um, so right now we're using the latest, I think, 19.2. Um, I'm quite happy with how the 3D modeler is working. Mm-hmm. What I would like to see is more in the circuit side is being able to Sometimes you will get vendors that provide you models in encrypted format uh, that they now I don't necessarily need to see past the encryption, but I get errors when I bring them in. They say, oh, this is a piece-by-piece file. Well, it turns out it doesn't actually work piece-by-piece format mm-hmm. or it doesn't work in spice format. Um, mm-hmm. And there is – so I end up with roadblocks where I get a whole bunch of errors coming out of, well, we can't parse this. Mm-hmm. because it doesn't meet a f- standard format, and it seems like there's not a way for me to debug that. Um, right. And so I, I need either more format support in terms of, because P-Spice and Spice and these others, the only standard is that there isn't one. Exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I need help in being able to work with more models, say if I get a model from TI, if I get a model from analog devices, if I get a model from you know, company XYZ that they say, oh, this works in our system. Well, it doesn't work everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I have, I have problems with that. Right. And I would also like to see some of the more uh, esoteric, uh, non-undocumented features in SPICE mm-hmm. brought forward where I can do um, behavioral and pass parameters back and forth easily into um, equation-based modeling. Mm-hmm where some of our systems will um, want to pass parameters back and forth effective the current uh, the resistance that changes the current um, thermal modeling to pass values back and forth um, right. so it's 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 kind of the can I make a function that uses some more than just linear or exponential or poly curve fit mm-hmm. in spice Mm-hmm. So that I can more adequately be, be hit model nonlinear behavior. Um, so, yeah. those are both. Great. And I, I know that there's some things that I've talked about with uh, with some of your representatives that mm-hmm. say, "Oh yeah, we didn't implement that in this feature. It's coming." It's like, well, okay, that's fine. I'll just keep passing information back. 
Yeah, definitely they're working on that. I think it's, you know, the the question of do we do we copy Spice or do we just continue to I think what we're doing is listening to users and adding capabilities as requested. So, they're definitely working on and, that. And and the thing to be careful of there is mm-hmm. adding features is great in our in, in your system. Mm-hmm. As long as if it works in your system, but mm-hmm. I also need to be able to pass the right. results back to our customers, so it needs to be work to work over a wide variety of of mm-hmm. legacy spice tools as well that may not be ANSYS, and exactly. so we need to be careful there as well. Yeah, I hear that because I, th- I think at the end of the day, I provide the funny thing is I'm an RF engineer that provides software code. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So the system. The, welcome to the world of systems engineering. Yes, we all just exactly code back and forth. So true. So yeah. true. Um, so we're. Well, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. This is kind of a fascinating area for me. Are you guys looking at doing thermal modeling? I would imagine that heat's going to be a problem in this device. We do, uh, and we do have another engineer that I work sit next to that is a mechanical engineer that has used use your tools. Mm-hmm. for thermal modeling of our devices because obviously if we're putting out something that in that's that's using hundreds of amps and putting mm-hmm. out hundreds of watts of optical power yeah it'd be nice if they were 100 percent efficient but they're not <laughs> so the rest of that power has to go somewhere and it goes somewhere as heat, heat. Yeah. Um, and so thermal is a big consideration for us because obviously these parts heat up fast and even though you're not going to burn them out uh, they will uh, start to reduce their optical power as you get past thermal rollover, okay. and the frequency shift, the, the wavelength shifts, and all the things happen, and you just don't get as efficient. And so, um, thermal is a big big effect for us. Uh, duty cycles on these parts are very very low because they need to cool off to, in, mm-hmm. in the in between the pulse time. In between the pulse times. Are you passing uh, those losses? Are you calculating those losses and passing them to him um, as as heat fluxes or? You just kind of estimate. Well, so some of what we're working on recently is more. I I will get from him what some of the thermal resistances are. Okay. Um, okay. Between between our die, through the contact pads, through mm-hmm. the sub mount, through the PC, a potential customer PCB into a heat sink, and so we'll make some assumptions there on. Okay, an ideal heat sink might be you know you know 0.8 degrees C per watt, kind of mm-hmm. watt per degree C. And uh, PCB, well, it depends on how many vias the, the customer stitches right. underneath the thermal pad. But uh, but we can use those numbers to make just a first uh, first order estimation on how much uh, thermal resistance we have between our part and 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 uh, ambient. Ambient, yeah. Wow, that's so fascinating. There's all these things that have to go into this. This is a true multi-physics device with. With light and electricity and thermal and stress. And, oh, it, 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 yeah. absolutely, it is because the the part that I don't model is inside the the Vixel device itself and how the uh, and how that current is converted into light in mm-hmm. the uh, in the stack up of the of the refractor reflectors and refractors and mm-hmm. and quantum wells. Uh, we have other people that do that. So. Yeah, really pushing pushing the uh, technology there. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? Uh, no, I want to uh, uh, thank you for making these tools available to us. They are they are hugely beneficial to us. They are amazingly powerful mm-hmm. uh, once you get up over the learning curve. Right. And uh, not having actually used these tools uh, in my previous company work uh, at other companies, yeah. 
it was it was an easy restart on how to to get what I needed to, to to get um, to bring myself up to speed. And, and you've done a great job with user interface mm -hmm. um, and being able to make navigation easy on a hugely complex tool. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's been a long journey, but I feel like we're there as far as ease of use and you know that balance between giving the user access to the capabilities they need <clears throat> without. Uh, the clunky old, uh, probably when you were back in school doing simulation, you were probably doing batch files or something, and uh, we've come along. Uh, as, part of, <laughs> as part of my master's project, I actually wrote some of these tools. Right. So in terms of the, <laughs> yeah, it, it, from the meshing up to all the Hankel functions. Yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> we've, come a, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. I yeah. Think. Yeah, that's no more Fortran coding for us, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time, um, and we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be able to check in with you in a little bit uh, and see how things are progressing when you guys have some announcements to make, and we can talk more about what's going on. But um, okay. thanks for sharing with our listeners how you're using the ANSYS tools and giving them some insight into to a whole other area of application that they might not be aware of, and especially as they, they see all these uh, cars and, and other applications with LiDAR on them, knowing that uh, all that's being modeled with ANSYS. That's pretty cool. That's right. Yeah, cool. So, and thank you for your time, Eric. Well, thank you very much, and, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see you and uh, make our decision on, on red or green or Christmas next time I'm, I'm out in uh, Albuquerque. <laughs> yep, and, uh, and uh, we'll be at CES, too, if you'll be there as well. So. I will not, but some of our guys will. So we'll definitely stop by. Yeah. You guys can have a booth. Come on, check us out. Yeah, definitely. We'll have, we'll have the, some fun stuff there. Some people yeah. will definitely want to see it. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yep. Take care. Bye -bye. Thank you. So hopefully that uh, piqued your interest a little bit into the world of uh, lasers, of creating reduced order models for system electronics models, you know, talk about SPICE and all those cool things in the electronics world that we can do with ANSYS. And we also touched a little bit on how it can be used for thermal stress, uh, thermal uh, analysis as well, not necessarily stress yet. Um, so, so do uh, investigate if you're interested a little bit more of the tools. Uh, also, it's a great example of how startups get access to the full capability of ANSYS tools through the ANSYS startup program, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, Definitely, if you're a startup, check it out. It's a great way to move your company faster and further uh, using these great tools, um, basically paying um, a reasonable price based upon the, where you are in your startup journey. So let's go ahead and take a commercial break and pay for the podcast, and we'll be back on the other side to talk about events and uh, news. Ugh, hey, Linda. I've been trying to run these simulations all day, but this stupid computer isn't fast enough. Ugh, I know, Dave. I wish IT would give us better computers. Oh, you know, that reminds me. A friend of mine was saying that he got a simulation computer from some place called PADT. Hmm. What's so special about it? Well, I guess they have this program called the Cube Computing Solutions, where they, they custom build simulation computers just to fit your needs, with whatever you want, whatever graphics cards you need, the amount of cores you need, whatever works best for you. Huh. How do I get one of these? Well, if I remember him correctly, he said you go to www.padtinc.com slash cube. I think that's right. Huh. Maybe we should tell the IT guy about this. Yeah, maybe we should.
So event-wise, this will be going out in November, so we don't have anything left in October. I hope everybody had a great Halloween. Um, kind of weird on a Wednesday. I don't have little kids anymore, so it's kind of like not a big deal in our house like it used to be. But anyway, uh, in November, we've got a webinar uh, about what's new in Fluent 19.2. So do sign up for that. Um, it is um, on 11-7. Uh, which is November 7th, from 11 to 12 Phoenix time. And you can go to our website and click on the events page to see more information and to register. Or if you already subscribed to Bright Talk, you can just go ahead and sign up over there on Bright Talk. And that's where we host these things. The big uh, event that ends the year here in the Arizona technology world is the Arizona's Governor's Celebration of Innovation. And as usual, PADT is a sponsor of that event. Uh, we 3D print the awards that are given out to people. Um, I've just seen who the winners are. It's a, it's a pretty cool group of companies that were nominated as well as winners. And um, I hope if you live and work here in the greater Arizona uh, technology community that you'll show up to this event. It's going to be at the convention center this year on November 8th. And uh, a lot of people from PADT will be there. So hopefully we'll see you and definitely stop by and say hello at our booth. Uh, we're also going to have a presence at Formnext. Um, that's, the, that's the big manufacturing, advanced manufacturing conference in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, that's uh, November 13th through the 16th. My partner, Ray Chu, who heads up our manufacturing group, is going to be there um, hanging out with the Stratasys folks, hanging out with the Carbon folks, with the desktop metal folks, uh, all the different people we work with. Also, ANSYS will be there. So if you're listening to this from Europe or you're going to be at Forum Next, uh, regardless of where you're from in the world, uh, ANSYS will be there talking about the additive suite. Um, definitely stop by and see that. We're, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about news as well. But uh, um, we'll have a big presence there. Both PADT and ANSYS will be at Forum Next. So we hope to see you there. Definitely stop by. You see a guy wearing a PADT shirt uh, with a little logo on it. That's Ray Chu. Uh, say hi to him for me. And say, say you heard about it, you, you heard he was going to be there on the podcast, so he knows that you're listening. Uh, in the world of news, wow, well, uh, we always talk about stocks when I start the news, and what a difference a week makes. Uh, <clears throat> the stock is down to 143 as of Monday, October 29th. Uh, that was yesterday. Uh, I haven't, it's too early in the morning to see how it's done today. But as you should know, the general market is down, 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 down. And uh, everything went down, including ANSYS stock. And I'm not cognizant enough of shares to know whether, or how the stock market works to know whether ANSYS did better or worse than the average. But uh, pretty much everything I've ever invested in is down right now. Um, so, you know, they, what they always tell you is, you know, close your eyes and write it out. Um, some, someone that, that knows this stuff better was, was talking about how people are taking their profit out of the, this long run we've had. Uh, and adjusting the market for just a long-term gains. So <clears throat> do, do keep in mind that 52 weeks ago, uh, October um, last year, it was sitting around 132. So it's still up over the last 52 weeks, which is really great. Um, <clears throat> and for a little bit more perspective before we, we panic, um, in 2014 in October, which was four years ago, ANSYS was trading at $78 a share. So certainly the stock is doing better, and even, even at this lower uh, mark that we're seeing is doing great. And when the, the general market recovers, we'll see what happens to the ANSYS stock. Um, <clears throat> but I, I like to let people know what's going on because uh, it's important if you live in the ANSYS world to know how 
they're doing financially. And speaking of which, there's not any press releases that I can share with you from the world of ANSYS because they're in a quiet period leading up to their uh, third quarter earnings call where they talk about what their results were in the third quarter, and that's on November 7th. So if you follow ANSYS closely, I always recommend that you uh, listen to those calls. It's great to hear the insight of the management team. <clears throat> and I'll also summarize it uh, in whatever podcast comes after November 7th when I've got a chance to listen to it myself. Um, <clears throat> Advantage Magazine, which is the ANSYS magazine that talks about the technical side of the ANSYS world, uh, came out with a fantastic issue. And we, we like it because it talks about additive manufacturing and simulation. Um, it talks about topological optimization, ANSYS additive suite, and gives a lot of good real-world examples of how people are combining ANSYS products with their 3D printing world. Uh, we actually have an article in there called Getting Metal 3D Printing Right the First Time with ANSYS Additive Print. <clears throat> and it shares our experience using the additive print tool both uh, as an analyst, so uh, our very own Alex Gershon went ahead and used it and kind of dug into the whole suite. And then our machine operator, I shouldn't call him an operator, but our engineer who runs our metal 3D printing machine, uh, Porek, he actually used it as well. So he's not a simulation person, so it was great to see his experience with it and how he found it useful and where it added value. And it really helped us avoid um, bad parts. And the, these, these metal 3D printers are fantastic, but they create a lot of thermal distortion because you're, you're melting powder and then it's solidifying and it's, it's in layers. So you get these residual stresses that cause warping and Additive Suite is a great tool to compensate, to understand it and compensate for it. Um, so do read about it, you learn more. There's about 10 other articles, I didn't actually count them, there may be eight, maybe 12, um, that, I, that I thought were really useful in this issue that talk about all sorts of issues and, and uh, uses of 3D printing and simulation, some on optimization, some on uh, more in depth in the tools that we use. So definitely, if, you, if you're at all interested or using additive manufacturing, check this issue out. It's a special one. Um, ANSYS blog had a bunch of good articles since the last time we talked, but I picked my three favorite. And the top of that list is from Richard Mitchell, and he shares his experience on how to get large deformation meshes uh, to converge. And if you've ever modeled um, any kind of like a rubber or a squishy material, you know that your, your material deforms and your mesh deforms as well. And so keeping that mesh converged is really, really important. And he gives some great tips and hints on how to do that. Um, also, another great article was from uh, an ANSYS thought leader, uh, somebody that's in product management there at ANSYS, and a, and a really good friend of mine, Chris Wolf. She shares her thoughts on four ways to create a business environment that empower women in technology. So it's great to hear from somebody that's actually been a female working in the technical world for some time now and her observations on how we can empower females in the technology world so they can contribute more and uh, reach their full potential. <clears throat> the last one that I recommend you check out, there's a bunch more in there too, but the last one I recommend uh, of the three that I picked is an article on how the App, Star, App Store has been updated and rebuilt. Um, and so they, they have a new e-commerce platform that if you're not familiar, the App Store is where you can upload 
plugins to the workbench that you can run um, in, in ANSYS Workbench, mostly ANSYS Mechanical, but some other tools as time goes by. Um, and this is a way to download those. Most of them are free. Some require payment. That's all easy and taken care of with a click. The, the big issue is that you can now click and accept the licensing for those tools, just like any other piece of software out there. And uh, it's, it's really fast. It takes about two, three minutes once you've logged in to pick your app and download it. So uh, it's a, got a much nicer interface. I think it's easier to search. And also, there's a bunch of new apps on there that weren't there before uh, that they were waiting to get the new App Store up, and then they loaded the new app. So do check out the App Store if you're a user of applications for ANSYS. And that pretty much wraps up our podcast. Uh, I hope you found this useful. I, I enjoyed the interview quite a bit, uh, as I do all of them. Don't forget to subscribe to our email at www.padtinc.com slash opt-in. And we'll see you in about two to four weeks. Uh, Trevor, our, our marketing person for the ANSYS side of things, as well as Stratasys, is, is out lining up some great interviews. So every two weeks or so, he's got something scheduled through the end of the year and some into the, the beginning of next year um, based upon feedback we've been getting from people out there. So don't also hesitate to give us that feedback. If you'd like to be interviewed or know of somebody you'd like to interview or a topic you'd like us to cover, email us at... Uh, podcast at padtinc.com. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for the All Things Answers podcast, episode 24. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with Ansys Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.